Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Hello and thank you for joining us for another Wessex LMCs podcast. Uh, my name is Will Howard. Um, I'm one of the medical directors at Wessex LMCs and a GP partner based in South West Hampshire. Uh, I'd like to welcome Sanjay Patel. Um, thank you for giving us another opportunity to pick your expert brain. If I could just ask you to introduce yourself to the audience, Sanjay. Yeah, thanks. Well, I'm Sanjay Patel, Paediatric Infectious Diseases Consultant at Southampton Children's Hospital. Brilliant. Thank you so much for spending this time with us, um, because I think we're all continuing to feel some pressure in our practices and out of our services in primary care from paediatric upper respiratory tract infections and presentations. Um, but uh, really, we just wanted to take this opportunity to take stock and find out where we are, given the pre-Christmas hype that was on the press. And certainly we did another podcast with you before Christmas to try and help uh, inform our, our membership. Um, so a few questions for you, Sanjay, if I may. Um, can you tell us where we are now with our Group A strep outbreak? Yeah, we were in a much better place than we were a month ago. So a month ago, following that um, that alert by UKHSA, uh, which was which which did reflect very high rates of circulating Group A strep, um, the alert also generated a huge amount of anxiety and activity in primary care and ED. We saw kind of the highest rates of paediatric activity, uh, health-seeking behaviour than we, we've, we've probably ever seen, actually. We were at least fivefold higher um, than, than seasonal averages, uh, historical averages. And, and that's come down sharply, actually. So there was about a two-week period when we had spectacularly high activity. That's reflected in national data. It's also re reflected on our Healthier Together website use data. Um, and that has come down sharply, back down to pretty much seasonal averages, actually, in terms of activity. I think we've still got we've still got higher circula circulating rates of Group A strep um, than um, normal historical averages, um, and that's reflected on throat swab positivity from Sentinel sites, which is sitting at about ten percent at the moment, as opposed to probably four percent as a norm for this time of the year. Um, so it's definitely not gone, but I think the pressure on our services from parents and worried parents has amelior ameliorated considerably. Good. So sounds like some of the heat from the worried well is dying down, although um, the Group A strep remains. In terms of eye gas, how does that translate into severe illness? Yeah, so the actual... Um uh, the actual mortality from this whatever strain, uh, this round of Group A strep is is very similar to historical averages. Uh, it's sitting around the seven eight percent mark. It seems for for children with eye gas. I mean, eye gas is still extremely rare, and the you know the number, the absolute number of children who have a strep throat or even scarlet fever that then transform to eye gas is extremely small. And I think we just need to keep reiterating that we've obviously treated. You know, we, we probably use five times the amount of antibiotics in children than we would be using normally at this time of year. And that's partly because we, we were worried because of the sheer amount of group A strep and that transmission to more vulnerable groups, which is essentially the elderly. Um, and um, but we uh, we and we've seen a lot of group A strep, invasive group A strep, because we've seen a lot of group A strep in children. But I think the actual conversion from, you know, if you're drawing a, a pyramid, the pyramid the, the dimensions will look the same. It's just that the base of it has got, uh, uh, you know, two log higher in a very short period of time, which is why in the past kind of three months, we've seen about 30 to 40 cases of eye gas in Southampton Children's Hospital. 
Yeah, of course. So that makes sense. You know, uh, a, a small amount of a small number is a very small number. A small amount of a large number, still a small amount, but it's more than it was before, essentially. Um, for those of us with less, less knowledge of group A strep, just remind us what the spectrum of disease does look like. Yeah, so you know, a lot of the media has been uh, focusing on one end of the spectrum, which is you know, which is uh, invasive group A strep. That can be, um, that can be uh, toxic shock syndrome as its kind of worst manifestation, which is which does have a high mortality. We've seen almost none of that, interestingly, uh, far less than we'd expect when we've looked at our overall number of, uh, of eye gas cases. Um, we've got, uh, you can get pneumonia with empyemas, you can get mastoiditis with, you know, sinus venous thrombosis, you can get orbital cellulitis, um, you can get quinsy, meningitis, endocarditis. I mean, pretty much we've seen every single manifestation there is of group A strep in the past three months in children. Um, but to reiterate, the absolute number is still, you know, it's not, not over 100. It's still, you know, four to 33 children or something since about October or since, it's since September. Um, but the vast majority of children have mild disease, and that's essentially a strep throat or scarlet fever or impetigo. Um, and so that's what we've seen a lot more of. And then there are a small number of children or a proportion, maybe about 20% who your culture group a strep in their throat and they're totally asymptomatic and they may well be colonized and they're often the younger children. Okay. So again, in primary care, it's about picking out really ill children using your clinical skills. Is fever pain still our best evidence diagnostic, diagnostic tool in children? Yeah, it probably is. It's it's still uh, currently the the one scoring systems are still endorsed by Nice. Nice, you know, the added value of rapid antigen tests is still very questionable. You know, they're also hugely, you know, labor to some extent labor intensive. If you're then swabbing a child's throat and waiting for a result to come back, etc. Uh, fever pain that's been trialed in children over three, under three, you know, you pretty much, if they've got a purulent throat and fever and no runny nose, you're going to be giving them antibiotics. It's it's the best we've got. There might be better, but we uh, we need to do more research trials to uh, to identify that. As you know, we've reduced the threshold from a fever pain score of four to three, and that's pretty much to that that reflects the um, the increased rate of circulating group A strep. Um, and at some point, hopefully in the near future, we'll be able to revise that and go back to business as normal. It's really interesting that you say a, a slight drop in threshold has led to an almost five times quantity prescribing for antibiotics. That's a huge increase in prescribing, isn't it? And, and I guess that worries us with regard to future problems regarding expectations from patients and families. Um, what, just a, moving forward, a quick reminder about appropriate antibiotic prescribing. Yeah, so um, many of you will know that there have been serious shortages, especially of suspensions. And um, and to some extent, we still have those shortages because we've used so such a large quantity of suspensions in the past month. The um, a, Something called the serious shortage protocol was activated um, by the government, which essentially means that if um, a prescriber, a, a, a GP, uh, um, prescribes penicillin suspension for a child, then the pharmacist, if they don't have penicillin suspension, has got the option to prescribe something else. And that may be amoxicillin, it might be carmoxiclav, cephalexin, clarithromycin, uh, 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 erythromycin, azithromycin, you know, all of these, all of the above. And I think that's the approach we've had to go 
for because otherwise parents have been prescribed an antibiotic that they've had to shop around five, six different pharmacists and end up having to come back to primary care or go to ED to get an appropriate prescription of something they can get hold of. And so that's kind of the approach. That's different to our normal approach of prescribing. We've been keener to go for more palatable antibiotics, but the serious shortage protocol is extremely rigid and you, you can only prescribe penicillin to allow a pharmacist to then change it to something that's on their list. So if we had prescribed amoxicillin and they didn't have any, they then wouldn't be able to be flexible in Indeed, how they manage that. That's them. absolutely Okey-doke. right. And the serious, serious short protocols review is going to be reviewed at the end of the month. So it might then be, you know, business as normal after that. But um, for now, it makes sense to, for, so it's easier for parents to prescribe penicillin V. They're, they're, you know, it's not the most palatable antibiotic, but we can't have them shopping around six pharmacies. It's just not fair on them. Okay. Thanks, Sanjay. That's really useful information. Um, when will we know to go back to more normal prescribing thresholds? Yeah, I think that's the million dollar question. I'm part of the sort of national uh, clinical reference group for this outbreak of group A strep. And that's what we were debating last night with our colleagues from UKHSA. I think we need to see a sustained reduction in um, rates of group A strep, which would be a surrogate metric of rates of scarlet fever, notifications for um for uh, all microbiology results on throat swabs and, and, and eye gas cases. We've seen a significant drop in the past kind of week, two weeks, but that may be a result of the Christmas holidays and the fire break from the Christmas holidays. So now that schools are back, we need to just watch the situation for at least the next couple of weeks. And that's the approach we're, we're taking nationally. So certainly not yet. That's really important and that we need to watch this space. And I think as an LMC, we'll, we'll certainly stay in touch with Sanjay and the team for any communications. And we'll happily share them with practices as soon as they become available alongside the usual forums that we get hold of this information from. Um, brilliant. Thank you, Sanjay. Um, where does flu or COVID fit into this clinical picture in children? That's a really good question. I think that We've seen, uh, you know, personal experiences that there have been a proportion of children with viral co-infection with uh, with eye gas. Uh, there's some preprint data research a study done by UKHSA suggesting that children who have had the flu vaccine are less likely to get group A strep and thus less likely to get eye gas. Um, so um, I, I think my approach would be to really push the flu vaccine in children, and that may help us see less cases of eye gas. And we've seen there's a similar pattern of co-infections with other viruses, such as RSV, et cetera. Um, but yeah, with flu, I'd really push the flu vaccine. And that's the message we're going to try and get out to parents. And we've put some stuff on the Healthier Together website literally this afternoon to really try and push that message. Okay, doke. Uh, again, that might be something that we need to feed into our future flu uh, years to really try and push it in children for, for exactly this reason. We all think of flu as, a, as an independent rather than a coexisting illness amongst our populations and, and how all of these illnesses may interact will be an important way in which we manage them in the future. So you mentioned Healthier Together website. Can you tell us a little bit more about how this is developing both for patients and now for practices, I understand? Yeah, so I mean, Healthier Together has been in place for a number of years across uh, across Wessex, and it's just really a portal for getting information, trusted information to parents so that it may uh, result in increased confidence uh, it hopefully is 
and will continue to be the go-to place for parents. If they're worried about their child, they have a resource to look at. And hopefully by looking at it, they will feel confident enough for the majority of children to self-care. And clearly for those children who are properly sick and may have eye gas, that they spot some of those signs and they will seek a timely healthcare consultation. So it's not just about trying to reduce the number of children coming to primary care and ED. It's to pick out those uh, th- those severely unwell children so they can be seen uh, within a system that's not totally overloaded. It's quite a responsive uh, platform. So we were able to put out information on Group A Strep within a day of um, you know all of the media storm, and we've had you know two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand website hits since uh, since the the third of December. So hugely used. I think my, you know, we've also got an app so that the red, amber, green information can be really easily accessed by parents. And we've co-designed this app with parents so that actually, if you're worried, you need something at your fingertips, you're not trawling through long pages. And that's what the app offers. And, and when, you know, it, you know, in parents' hands, it results in about two thirds of children with a green disposition and not seeking a healthcare consultation. So for me, and what I've sort of, my reflections over the last month is it's, it's at a time of crisis when something like Healthier Together comes into its own because actually marginal gains can keep a system afloat. And it's, you know, at sinking point, that's when you want a system that's in place that parents know about that you can embed up during periods of calm that yield their greatest rewards when, everything else is going wrong. And and actually, we've got some anecdotal data that the uplift in ED presentations, children's ED presentations in Southampton was considerably shallower than in other similar EDs in the country that didn't have parents, didn't have access to Healthier Together. And it's quite possible if we had access to the primary care data, we, we might see something similar across Hampshire and the Isle of Wight and Dorset. So I am... Um, I feel really encouraged that we're doing the right thing with Healthier Together. I think we as primary care and pediatricians and health visitors and midwives, we all need to really promote it. Um, And thus it's trusted during times of calm and in times of great pressure, it really reaps benefits for the healthcare system. Yeah, I fully agree. And I think for me, that was the big learning from some of the slides you shared with me, Sanjay, was the need to consider Healthier Together throughout the year to all our parents as they are, are, are venturing into parenthood, which is unknown for an awful lot of people, and that it's a powerful tool as long as it becomes part of everyday use. We can embed it. We can send people text messages from our clinical systems, actually making that part of our routine management of patients, making sure it's signposted via our websites, using any social media and feeds that we have as practices, individual practices, as primary care networks to make sure this is something that is there and is the normal part of parenting and accessing healthcare advice uh, as a front door in in some respects. Um, Looking forward, you've you've talked about the Healthier Together and embedding that in our use. Is there anything we can learn from this outbreak and the way that it's been handled? Yeah, I think one of the the, the big learning points is is the impact of comms and how I think it was highly predictable that if you start publishing reports of deaths on a website, a government website, then the media will grab it. We have no control of the media, but we know that they have the big, biggest impact on health-seeking behaviour, especially amongst a, a generation of youngish or parents who who don't necessarily have the same security blankets around them, who have lost some confidence because of a lack of illness during the COVID pandemic. You know, clearly predictable that we were going to see an absolutely unmanageable surge in paediatric activity. Um, 
I think the learning goes back to what we've just discussed, that we need to recognize that will happen again. There'll be deaths from something else. Parents will get absolutely paranoid and anxious and will come and seek reassurance from healthcare professionals. And we need systems in place like Healthier Together that can allow us to ameliorate that slightly. I think the pill swallowing things also probably some learning. I think, you know, we've been a bit touchy feely about children and suspensions and, you know, you know, yeah, they can't swallow tablets. We've seen loads of young, far younger children than 12 and 10 swallowing tablets. They've got better, but you know, they've got, they're more, more robust in terms of their, 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 their active compound. They're more transportable. They're cheaper, you know, all of the above. So I think if we can have a proportion of children following this, um, you know, this recent experience now swallowing tablets. I think that's going to be good. And I think hopefully we all should be pushing the tablet. The default should probably be prescribed tablets for the majority of children, actually. So maybe that will come from it as well. That's an interesting lesson. That's something that will change my practice, actually, moving forwards, thinking about when I'm prescribing routine. I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to prescribe this child antibiotics. I've made the decision. Oh, they look a bit young. Therefore, I will default to liquid. Actually, I will think twice. I will now try and default to, to tablets as a different option. So I think that's definitely an important learning point for us. And I think all practices out there really making sure that we have the healthier together information available, that we're sharing it. And we're using all the modern means that we've learned since COVID how to to make sure this is at the forefront of people's minds um thank you sanjay is there anything that that we've missed that you think would be helpful for primary care clinicians no i think it's just important to reiterate that the status quo remains for now in terms of um, thresholds of prescribing because we still have higher rates um than the normal for group A strep, but those rates are hopefully going to continue going down. Uh, we have a group of us nationally who are uh, scrutinizing the data. And once we feel confident that that is a real downward trend with no significant uplift now that schools have gone back, we will return back to normal in terms of thresholds of prescribing. And as you said, the, the challenge we have now is twofold. One is parental expectations. Um, you know, that will take some time, but it will wash out. There'll be a washout period, which may be six months, nine months, whatever, but that will subside back to normal baseline. And it's also clinician prescribing as well. You know, we've got to go back to our kind of our more stewardship based practices where the majority of children with, with pharyngitis and fever don't have group A strep, they have a viral infection. But for now, that's that's not the case. We need to be a bit more careful because we really want to protect the vulnerable. And we've just got to be probably watching out for an uplift in, in the frail and elderly who may have been exposed to their grandchildren at Christmas. We haven't seen that yet, but it's still something we just need to keep a bit of an eye out for. Excellent, Sanjay. That's really, really useful. So I guess the bottom line for us in general practice is to, to, to keep keep doing our best to soak up the pressure but um, that the signs are looking good we hope very much there's no uptick in, in in group a strep presentations and that hopefully the next podcast that we do together sanjay will be one where we are reminding our clinicians about antibiotic stewardship and responsible prescribing rather than lowering thresholds and prescribing more thank yeah. you so much sanjay for your time really very much appreciated and and we look forward to talking to you again soon my pleasure take care well thank you bye-bye Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice.